0: Are you blessed? Are you highly favored? Are you excited about life? Me too, me too. God has been so very good to us. Every day his mercies are new. Is that not true? So every day we have the opportunity to expect the best because of Christ Jesus. Man, it's so good to see you in the Lord's house. I'm glad to see some of you starting to trickle back in. And I'm looking forward in the next few weeks to see even more. As they begin to come in, the news is starting to break that recovery is on the way, that it's happening even now. How many of you believe that? I do. I believe God is on the throne and he is bringing us up to a place of revival and recovery. And that includes the church. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, you may have received one of these booklets today when you came in. If you did not, please get one either this Sunday or next Sunday. I told you this year is going to be a year that we're going to dedicate a lot of energy to prayer. We just finished up 21 days, 421, so that we're praying for the favor of God. And now we're going to pray for our city. Seek God for the city. When you're finished with the 40 days, don't throw this book away because we're going to use it again at a later time in the year for 10 days of praise. So we want you to keep this resource close by and in your hands, and we're going to pray together. Say, why is it so important for the church to pray? Because it's the greatest weapon that we have in our arsenal. The Bible says, if any two will agree as touching anything on earth, it shall be done of them, the Father which is in heaven. So I'm thankful that prayer makes a difference, aren't you? Good. Amen. If you have not yet uh, decided on your level of involvement on our new missions project in New Zealand, I'd like for you to be praying about that. I would like to be able to share with you today that over the last two Sundays, we have had $7,656 come in already ready to be sent to the field. With the pledges that have come in, we are a little over $15,000 to this point, and we are, we are hoping to reach 18000 and I believe we'll be able to do that. We take our money with the money that other churches are contributing, we're going to raise $100,000 to help our church in Amaru, New Zealand to be able to earthquake their building so that they can start doing ministry there. Do you believe God's a good God? Amen. And I'm thankful to have the opportunity to be a part of that. So be praying with us about your contribution. We are working on the shirts, and we're going to have those to you in the next few weeks so that you can wear it around that says that we are stronger than an earthquake. Amen? I believe we are because of God. Amen. We well, If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to grab them and turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. I want you to stay there with me today, because rather than reading the chapter in full at the beginning, I'm going to break it up into bits and pieces so that we can kind of see the emphasis in the different areas of this chapter. So if you have a physical Bible, turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, leave it open. If you have a device, just open that up to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, and we will go through that today. As I've been telling you the last couple of weeks, that we're going to be talking about revival for the next six weeks. When we think about revival, we often go back to the old days of the church where we bring an evangelist in for a few days, and we all meet at the church, and we gather, and we worship, and we pray, and we preach, and we pray in the altars, and those are good times. I'm glad we can do that from time to time. But that's not really what it is that I want to talk to you about over the next few weeks. Because I'm convinced that revival begins in the heart of an individual. The church can only experience revival if the individuals that make up the church are revived themselves. And so we want to talk about this idea of revival and particularly The concept that God wants us to recover. We're in a time where recovery is extremely important. Now is the time to recover. And This was not in my sermon notes, but I want to say this to you today. You cannot wait until all is well to start the process of recovery in your life. You better start now. Because if you don't start now, you're going to miss a whole lot of blessing that will come to us as we are in the process of recovery. So we're going to be talking about this. Today, we're going to talk primarily about the idea of repentance. And how repentance will lead us to revival. We start with this thought. Repentance produces mercy which sustains recovery. Let me say it again. Repentance produces mercy, which sustains recovery. Now, how many of you know that God wants us to recover? But we can't recover until we first repent. And once we repent and change our ways, then it opens the floodgates of mercy, which produces recovery in our lives. So let me give you a little bit of historical background and context as it pertains to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. The book of Chronicles is, by most theologians' description, a book of recovery. It talks about recovery. In 606 B.C., Israel was exiled to Babylonia. The Babylonians surrounded Jerusalem, broke down its walls, and carried virtually everyone into captivity. The Israelites lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their jobs. They lost their identities. They lost their loved ones. They lost everything. And for 70 years, they lived in refugee camps outside the city of babylon and then god decided to set them free isn't that good news he decided to let them go home so he used a wicked persian king by the name of cyrus to conquer the back babylonians and then cyrus said i want you to go home and open up your country does that sound familiar to you today He said, I want you to go home and I want you to open up your country and restart your jobs and restart your businesses and primarily I want you to worship your God. In other words, he was saying it's time for you to recover. So in 536 BC, that's exactly what they did. They returned home And they started the process of recovery. God sent them two spirit-filled leaders to lead them in this process of recovery. One was named Nehemiah and the other was Ezra. Ezra was not a builder of walls. He was a builder of hearts. He was a builder of character. Nehemiah gave the wall... But Ezra gave the people the word of God. So we have these leaders who have different um, assignments among the people of God. And both of them were important. Now Ezra was the one who wrote the book of Chronicles. If you go to the beginning of your Bible, you'll see all of the different lists of the books of the Bible. And you'll find, if you do the study, you'll find 17 books in the Old Testament That were written primarily for historical purposes. The books of Samuel and Kings recorded the political history of Israel. But the book of Chronicles recorded the same history in a different way. Say, well, why would you need two histories about the same period of time? Because the first was written for details. But the second was written for development. In other words, Ezra knew that there were lessons that Israel needed to learn out of their chaos. And so he wrote the book of Chronicles to teach these lessons. Samuel and Kings record the details. Chronicles records the lessons. The writers were, the first books, Kings and Samuel, a group of prophets that God used to give the historical details. But it was Ezra that wrote the book of Chronicles. Now Ezra wrote to a a group of people that were discouraged, despondent, and depressed. They had just been held in captivity for many years and they were discouraged And they were a little bit uncertain about the recovery ahead. But Ezra wanted to teach them some lessons that if they learned these lessons, were certain to bring recovery into their lives. Now let me just pause long enough to say to you today, I believe that we are in that season where recovery is happening. It's coming even now. But if we don't learn the lessons that became painfully obvious to us during this time of suffering, then we will never recover the way that God wants us to recover, either as a nation or as a people of God. Listen, God has given us the ability not only to recover, but to build bigger and better than ever before. America has always been one that stood for liberty and built that upon the idea that we are one nation bound together under God. Regardless of your color, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, there is freedom for you in the United States of America. Our system is not perfect, but listen, we're working on it. But God wants us to know that the same is true for our spiritual recovery. It doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. Salvation is available for all. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life in Christ Jesus. So the story of 1 Chronicles chapter 21, where we are today was specifically chosen by Ezra as a lesson about restarting. It is a lesson about starting over with God when we have disappointed him. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands, but just in your mind answer this question. Have you ever disappointed God? Have you ever put God in a position where he had to bring judgment into your life? Because if you have, and I have, then we all know that there, we have to find our way back to recovery. And the good news is, is that God provides the pathway for us to recover. Now, the first thing I want you to understand about David's sin, and that's what First Chronicles 21 is about, is that it was not a big sin. It was not one of the top ten, if you will. You know, we tend to grade sin, and you know, if you do this, it's a number one, and if you do this, it's a number five, or if you do this, it's a number ten. If you do this one, you're lucky if you live through the end of the day. We grade sin, but in God's eye, sin is sin, because the actions of sin are manifested only because of the worm, if you will, that resides within our heart that needs to be taken out. And so Ezra did not talk about David's adultery with Bathsheba, though he could have. And Ezra did not tell us about David murdering Bathsheba's husband, a man by the name of Uriah the Hittite. But he didn't even mention that. Nor did he mention his family dysfunction in his and through his son named Absalom. Instead, he tells us about what seemingly is a small and insignificant sin. Let me just take a moment to remind you that it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. I can assure you today, church, that sin, when it is manifested in our life, is very rarely an instantaneous explosion of wickedness. It is typically a little fox that we give place in our heart that begins to destroy the vineyard of holiness in our life that ultimately produces a sin that brings the judgment of God. So, as we're talking today about David, I want us to think about our own lives and the possibility of little foxes that reside there in our soul and in our spirit. Let's first talk about David's rebellion. Now, if you have your Bibles open, look at 20, chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. The scripture says that Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring a report to me so that I can know the number. So what he did was he took a census. Now censuses are not bad things. Our government in the United States is required to take a census every 10 years. Because it helps us to reapportion congressional seats and determine determine how we're going to fund uh, uh, through our budgets and things of that nature. It also helps us to figure out how many highway lanes that we need uh, in certain parts of the country. I don't know much about where you live, but I know that in Mount Washington, we need more roads because it's hard to get around there. Censuses help us to accomplish that. School, uh, school superintendents project how many students they will have based on the numbers that they find in the census. So a census is not sinful in and of itself. In fact, even God took censuses. If you go to numbers, you will find that God ordered a census of Israel when they left Egypt. As they were going into freedom. And he also ordered a second census. As they got ready to enter into the promised land. So again. Censuses aren't bad. So why was David held responsible. For taking a census. Because it was a direct violation. Of God's will and God's plan. God told him not to number Israel. But he wanted to, because of selfish reasons, he wanted to take a census. He didn't need one. He was not at war. He didn't need to know how many fighting men that he had in his army. He just wanted to know how many troops that he had so that he could pat himself on the back and brag about the great army that he had, selfishness. David was being selfish, and God knew the motivation of his heart when he took this sentence, sentence, census. Stephen Kendrick said, almost every sinful action ever committed can be traced back to a selfish motive. It is a trait that we hate in other people, but we justify. In ourselves. So we've got to say either amen or oh me. Right there. Selfishness. Is a great sin. So let's look next. At David's rebuke. Now God will never allow you. To get by with sin. Without you suffering. A rebuke of the spirit as well. Look in verses 3 through 7. It says. Joab. Replied, may the Lord multiply the number of his people a hundred times over. My Lord the king, aren't they all my Lord's servants? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? Yet, and I underlined this in my Bible, yet the king's order prevailed over Joab. So Joab left and traveled throughout Israel and then returned to Jerusalem. Joab gave the total troop registration to David. In all of Israel, there were 1,100,000 armed men and in Judah itself, 470,000 armed men. But he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the count because the king's command was detestable to him. But it doesn't stop there. Notice the next verse. This command was also evil in God's sight. So he afflicted Israel. Now there are two very important observations I want to make at this point. The first is this. We need a voice of truth to hold us accountable. Joab was supposed to be that man in David's life. If David had been operating in wisdom, he would have taken the counsel of Joab, and he would have valued it, and he could have saved himself a lot of trouble, as well as preventing a plague that came upon Israel. And we'll get to that in just a moment as well. Sometimes I've discovered that we don't want to pay attention to the voice of truth now let me just stray for a moment and i'll get right back to my notes in a minute god sent me here as your pastor not to be your friend but to be your spiritual leader now i love you and i want to be friendly with you But I cannot put myself in a position where our friendship would prevent me from speaking the truth of God's Word into your lives. So here's what you're always going to get from me, whether you like it or not. I'm going to speak the truth of God in love. I sent out several emails just this week and text kind of trying to encourage people to think about what's your plan for returning to church are you even thinking about it yet i mean i know you're going to work and i know you're going here there and the other because you're posting about it on facebook all the time and you know that i love you and my what i'm wondering is is where does church stand in all of that We can say the church is essential all we want to. But until our actions prove that out, it's mere words. You say, well, I'm still afraid. Listen, I'm afraid to drive home today because of crazy people that could run me off of the road. Kelly will be a little bit concerned about returning to her car today. Because she slipped and fell on a little bit of ice that was out there. And we didn't, have any, we didn't have any salt here to put down. And so Kelly just wanted to see if it was slick. And she discovered that it was. Listen, I just want you to know that our decisions to prioritize things in our lives need to prioritize the things of the kingdom First. Because the scripture says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be added. So please know my heart when I come to you and I say, all right, what do you think? You know, What are you thinking about this? How's this working in your life? Please know that I'm not coming to you as a buddy. But I am coming to you as a spiritual leader has been tasked with, with the task of leading this church to maturity in our faith and I want to be a voice of truth I don't want to speak in a, in a way that just makes you feel good listen we've got enough feel-goods in this world what we need is spiritual maturity in our lives <laughs> growing into the things of God so we all need a voice of truth to hold us accountable Proverbs 27 and verse 6 says the wounds of a friend are trustworthy, but the kisses of an enemy are excessive. Sometimes a timely interaction with Scripture is necessary. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 11 says a word spoken at the right time is like golden apples in silver settings. Did you ever find yourself wondering about something and then all of a sudden, Scripture just busts you right between the eyes? And you say, man, that is the word that I needed to hear for today. And it feels good, doesn't it? But what we've got to guard against is not getting a word like that and then just letting it cause chill bumps to run up and and down our spine. But we need to move beyond the feel-good And apply it to our lives so that we can grow in grace. I love you. Sometimes we need to be instructed by the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 and verse 13 says, And when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. Did you ever need to know what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen? Well, you know, what's going to happen in America? Well, the Holy Spirit will guide us into that truth if we will listen. So we all need a voice of truth. And the next thing I want to point out right here is that stubbornness leads to rebellion, which is offensive to God. Do you need me to say that again? I will. Stubbornness leads to rebellion, which is offensive to God. Listen, verse 7 says, The command was also evil in God's sight. So he afflicted Israel. Let me say something about rebellion. Rebellion is an ugly attitude which transforms a person that is meant for success into a total failure. You know, one of the saddest things about being a pastor is watching people who are meant for success And have the ability to succeed in the things of the Spirit because they are stubborn with God and rebel against his principles and his word. They amount to little more than an absolute failure. And I've seen it time after time after time after time. So listen, I'm telling you, if you intend to succeed in anything, you better watch Rebellion. Because it is an offense to God. You may rebel against the system. You may rebel against your spouse. You may rebel against your employer. But if you're not careful, that little fox of rebellion that causes you to rebel against this, this, and this will ultimately lead you to a place where you will rebel against God. And when you rebel against God, let me tell you, you are setting yourself up for pain everybody listening today everybody love me right okay good now to David's credit verse 8 says this David said to God I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing now please take away your servant's guilt for I have been very foolish that prayer now leads us to David's recklessness and the price that he paid for it look at verses 9 through 14 with me if you will then the Lord instructed Gad David's seer and he said go and say to David this is what the Lord says I am offering you three choices choose one of them for yourself and I will do it to you So Gad went to David and he said to him, this is what the Lord says. Now listen, when the Lord speaks, we better listen. Gad said, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice. You can either have three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes with the sword and your enemy overtaking you or three days of the sword of the Lord. A plague on the land the angel of the lord bringing destruction to the whole territory of israel now you decide what answer i should take back to the one who sent me and david answered gad and he said i am in anguish please let me fall into the hands of the lord because his mercies are very great. Amen. But don't let me fall into human hands. Now look, it says, so the Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 Israeli men died. You say, man, that's mean. That, that, that's horrible stuff. You're right. That's tough stuff. You've got to understand that the price for sin has always been death. The wages of sin is death. Sin is always going to cause something to die. You want to live? Walk in the ways of the Lord. Walk according to his word. Sin will always bring death. And in the Old Testament... It was meted out by a God of judgment and righteousness. And that's why I say to you today, thank God for Calvary where jesus died and shed his blood died for me the bible says once and for all he never needs to do it again he doesn't have to do it for every individual separately he died one time and he took at calvary the sins of the entire world and because he did we are free today and we have mercy and we have grace. Listen, we've all done things to puff up our pride. You know, we, never, we may never be tempted to do the big sins, but there are those little sins that we've got to talk about. And in this instance, that little sin of taking that census caused 70,000 people to die. And so we've got to be careful that we don't, think that what we do in the privacy of our own minds is just between us and God, because sometimes we feel that way. I did this in secret, nobody will know. I did this in secret, I'm the only one who will suffer. Well, let me tell you, it will find its way into other people's lives. Parents, let me remind you that you have been charged with the responsibility to train up a child in the way they should go. And if you're not even trained up yourself, you can't train up a child. So somebody needs to start getting trained. And so I want to suggest to you that you start with yourself. But listen, if you've got young children that are growing quickly and rapidly and they're nearing their teenage years, you need to get trained quickly so that you can start training them because I promise you, whatever you train them in their childhood is what they will come out to be in their life. And it is only by the grace of God that many of us have been saved because our training was terrible. And what I'm trying to say to you today is if we want recovery and if we want revival, our children need to be trained in the ways of the kingdom. They need to be taught to put the kingdom of God first and his righteousness so that the other things can come freely into their lives. I don't know. I feel like I need to say I love you again. Now, the fourth thing we want to talk about today is David's recovery. Because at this point, pastor's been a little bit rough on you. Amen? Well, I was. I have been. But it's come from a heart of gold. I promise you that. But we don't stop at sin. We don't have to stop at sin. I don't understand why people think, well, I'm a sinner, and so I guess I'll just split hell wide open. You don't have to. God doesn't want to send you to hell, but He will let you go there if you choose to reject Him. But if you choose to receive Him, oh, there's life everlasting and life that is abundant and free, and it starts right here on this earth. It's time for you to start recovering spiritually. It's time for you to stop seeing yourself as an old, worn out, Child of the devil and start realizing that my sins are forgiven. I am clean from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I am a child of God. I'm so thankful. Notice verses 15 through 28. David's recovery. Then God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But when the angel was about to destroy the city, the Lord looked and relented concerning the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough now! Withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. When David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, With his drawn sword and his hands stretched out over Jerusalem, David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell face down. And David said to God, Wasn't I the one who gave the order to count the people? I am the one who has sinned and acted wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Lord, my God please let your hand be against me and against my father's family but don't let the plague be against your people so the angel of the lord ordered gad to tell david to go and set up an altar man i could stop right there and just start preaching right now but i'm gonna hold off for just a second Set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And so David went up at Gad's command, spoken in the name of the Lord. And Ornan was threshing wheat when he turned and he saw the angel. His four sons who were with him hid. David came to Ornan and when Ornan looked and saw David, he left the threshing floor and bowed to David and his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, give me this this threshing floor plot so that I may build an altar to the Lord on it. Give it to me for the full price so the plague of the people may be stopped. And Ornan said to David, take it, my Lord, the king may do whatever he wants See, I give the oxen, for the, the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. King David answered Ornan and he said, No, I insist on paying full price. For I will not take for the Lord what belongs to you or offer burnt offerings that cost me Nothing. So David gave Ornan 15 pounds of gold for the plot. And he built an altar of the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And he called on the Lord. And he answered him with fire from heaven on, an, on the altar of burnt offering. Notice this next verse, 27. Then the Lord spoke to the angel and the angel put his sword back into its sheath that's recovery that's revival and at that time david offered sacrifices there when he saw that the lord answered him at the threshing floor of ornan the jebusite now listen god's choices were very creative And he handed it all over to David and he said, you can either have three years of war or you can have three months of famine or you can have three days of plague. It's up to you. He said, why would you let David choose? God lets all of us choose whatever blessing or whatever cursing that we want to allow to come into our lives. It is. Up to you. It is up to me. Do I want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? David's choice was to take responsibility for his own retribution. So God chooses, or David chooses, and he chooses the famine. And so the famine, the plague starts, and people all around him start to die. The scripture very clearly tells us that 70,000 Israeli men die. Listen, that didn't even include the women and the children. Because in those days, they often did not count the women and the children. So, it's very conceivable that that 70,000 was 150,000 or 400,000 or whatever the number was, but the loss was great because, because of the selfishness of one man. So, where did recovery start? It starts with three things. First of all, it started with the admission of sin. Notice verse 17. It says, David speaking here, he said, wasn't I the one who gave the order to count the people? Listen, church, we have to take responsibility and admit to our failures. We can't cover them up. Listen, our nation is where it is today because of all those little foxes that were set free years and years ago that are now multiplying in our world. And we can't blame the Democrats or the Republicans. We've got to blame ourselves. Stay with me. The day is long past when the church should be focused on the feel goods of worship. It's time for us to apply the Word of God and ask Him to reveal the sin of our lives so it can be forgiven and washed away. The morality of America today is largely Because of the pulpits of America and the people of the church uh, who have just gotten into this consumer mentality about going to church where it feels good and when it feels good and how it feels good. But let me tell you, the gospel of Jesus Christ does not always feel good. But we are still required to tell the truth. Church, we better rise up and start holding some people accountable for the actions that we're seeing from our politicians, both Republican and Democrat and Independent and whatever else strain that they might be. Church, we've got to pray. It's time to pray. My Lord, you're talking about killing millions of babies in America, and we're proud of it. We're talking about homosexuality in a way that now has gone beyond just a man with a man and a woman with a woman, but we can choose whatever we decide to be. And if I want to play women's sports instead of playing men's sports, I can do that. And you mark my words, it's going to be forced down our throats in our public school systems uh, unless we find a way in the church uh, and beseech God to move upon America once again. not good enough for us to just come to church and sing a few songs uh, and feel good we have got to find a way to grab hold of the horns of the altar of god and pray the conviction of the holy spirit uh, into our nation again he admitted his sin secondly he took responsibility for his actions Verse 17 also says, Lord, my God, please let your hand be against me and against my father's family. But don't let the plague be against your people. Don't let the plague be against your people. And then the third thing that he did, and I'm going to close with these thoughts. We're going to watch a video here in just a moment. But David returned to the altar of God. He rebuilt the altar. In this instance, he put it exactly where God wanted it to be. We don't need to build an altar on the threshing floor of Ornan. We need to rebuild the altars of our homes and rebuild the altars of our church. Let me tell you, not going to work in these last days for us to just waltz into the church house at starting time and pray that the song service is good and the worship is good and the preacher's not too hard on me and then waltz out back into the parking lot and go home and not encounter God another stinking time the rest of the week. Sorry, cut that out. The stinking part. Never read the Word of God Never pray with our children so that they can hear it come out of our mouths. So I pray for them. I just do it in the closet. That's good. You should do that. But you need to grab them by the shoulders and look them in the face and say, Your daddy and your mommy are believers and we believe that prayer can move in your life. And before you go to school today, I'm going to pray for you wrestle for their souls rebuild the altar rebuild the altar verses 26 and 27 says he built an altar to the lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings and he called on the lord and the lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering then the lord spoke to the angel and he put his sword back in to its sheath. Here's what I want to say to you. We don't have the ability to build the kind of altars that David built in this situation. But we can rebuild altars of repentance and rebuild the altars that lead us to worship and to forgiveness and recovery but there's only one thing that will produce that in our lives and that's when we return to calvary you see calvary and the cross almost seems like foreign words in the church these days i take responsibility i'm the pastor i'm the one preaching I should be talking about Calvary. The word blood for many is just too gross to consider. But Let me remind you that if the blood of Jesus Christ had not been spilled at Calvary, you would still be in your sins today. But thank God the blood will never lose its power. It was shed for you and shed for me and we've got to talk about the blood. I long for the day when you start inviting people to church. And you start, stop saying things like our worship is really good. You're going to like it. Our preacher, he's kind of ugly looking, but he'll preach all right. But you need to already get yourself ready for the fact that he's gross, man. He's going to talk about blood, and he's going to talk about death, and he's going to talk about sin, and he's going to talk about burial, and he's going to talk about resurrection. But if you'll come to my church, the spirit of the living God will be so free. That he will be able to change your life. Not the pastor, but the blood of Jesus Christ. Set us free. We've got to return to Calvary. Church, we've got to get back to the altar. We've got to worship God even when it doesn't feel good. Because that's the only way that change will take place. I want to play a little video for you. It's a song that was written many, 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 many years ago, but it's being sung by young people. And they're taking us to a place at Calvary. And I want you to notice one phrase in this video where they sing this line, Mercy there was great and grace was free at Calvary. Will you play the video for us this morning and I'll be back and we'll pray.
1: Word at last, my sin.
0: it for me so as I close this morning let me just ask you this pointed question one more time what little foxes are you allowing to find a home in your heart what little things what little attitudes what little actions you just kind of let them live there as if it's no big deal the next time that the spirit of God shows you one of those little foxes and says deal with this I want to encourage you to do that because just like the little fox of selfishness and taking a sentence brought a plague upon Israel the little foxes that find their way into your heart will ultimately manifest in a chaotic way in your lives all sounds hard doesn't it but it's not because of what Jesus did at Calvary we have mercy mercy there was great grace was free <laughs> what greater blessing than to know that God loves us so much that he is willing to stop the plague of sin that would try to overtake our lives he's putting the sheath the sword back in the sheath on your behalf today Because every time the enemy of your soul comes and tries to lie you into hell, the Son of God says, no, my blood has them covered. (laughs) I'm so glad to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you stand with me this morning?